Welcome to the podcast, Outing Religion, a diversity-affirming conversation on society and religious thought. With the author of the book series, Why and How the Clergy Lied, a journalist's academic report on LGBTQ and Christianity. This episode features a segment of a course that was taught a few years ago. Here's D.L. Day. Someone look up 1 Corinthians 11.14. Would you do that? 1 Corinthians 11.14. Okay. Does not nature itself teach you that for a man to have long hair is degrading to him? Does not nature itself teach you that for a man to have long hair is degrading to him? What about all these pictures of Jesus we see with long hair? Better go back and redo those. What about nature? Judges 16:17. Paul meets Samson. Okay? Was Paul saying that Samson was unnatural? What? Societal? Does not this is that what society is doing at the present time teach you. Do you suppose that's the case? Do you suppose Paul is saying that Samson was unnatural? Read it again. Does not nature itself teach you? Nature itself teaches you that for a man to have long hair is degrading to him. If that's, how can it be in terms of natural if, if nature is teaching us something and what is natural is what develops in nature? that it's degrading for man to have long hair if nature makes man's hair grow long. Interesting. Interesting. So what are the biblical concepts of what is natural? Well, you need to know that the word nature was never mentioned in the Gospels. The word nature, natural, is not mentioned in the Gospels, never mentioned by Jesus Christ. In fact, it's only mentioned, I believe, once in the Old Testament. In fact, most of the times it's ever mentioned, it's mentioned by Paul. So it's kind of important to see how Paul viewed what is natural, if we're going to talk about things being unnatural, right? Now, Paul also believed that it was natural for Jewish men to be circumcised. He refers to that in Romans 2.27, that for Jewish men, this is natural, Okay, he also agrees that for Gentile men, it was natural not to be circumcised. Now, the Jews at that time felt like the nature of things and nature as God had planned it was for the Jewish men to be circumcised. If that was the nature of things, how is it that they were born uncircumcised? So what's the definition of natural? Now, we're told that God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? Has anybody ever heard that? And it usually comes out something like, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, amen. Doesn't it? Very emphatic. And that Adam and Steve might have been somehow unnatural. That the creation, as described in Genesis, is the standard by which we are to judge what is natural. You ever had that laid on you? Okay. 
in fact, the Ryrie Study Bible, if any of you have one of those, has a footnote that says, referring to Genesis, that this indicates that God intended for marriage to be between a man and a woman and to be monogamous. It was God's intent because of what's described in Genesis. Let me ask you something. If the Genesis story of creation is, is our divine guideline by what we, as, as to what we should consider natural, who did Cain marry? His sister? Then by the Genesis guideline is incest natural? Is that according to nature? Is that our biblical definition of what is natural? Let's get a dictionary definition of natural. And I read this to you last week. Let's read it again. Natural, produced by nature, based on some state of things in nature, not artificial, as in a natural fool, instinctive, inborn, it's one we had up here, Oh, you'll love this one. Not cultivated or civilized. Very natural. Coming in the ordinary course of events, as in a natural death. <laughs> in accordance with the nature of things or the circumstances of the case, as in a natural response. Free from affectation or restraint. How about that one? Of or pertaining to nature and based on what is learned from nature. Now, that's a very interesting one. Because back there a ways, and certainly not with the initial Christian church, but after a hundred or two hundred years or so, there began to be formed, with the influence of Greek culture, some attitudes on what was natural. And one of those attitudes was that things were natural if animals did it. Now that's interesting. Things were natural if animals did it. And if humans did something that animals didn't do, that was somehow unnatural. Well, that makes reading an unnatural act. Literacy is unnatural. In fact, in about 100 A.D., there was the Epistle of Barnabas. And Barnabas was one of the early church fathers, and the Epistle of Barnabas was accepted by those with, uh, who were familiar with it at the time as being gospel. It's now considered an, an apocryphal writing. It's not a canonized writing. It's not a part of the gospel as we accept the gospel. But to those of the time, the epistle of Barnabas was considered gospel. Now, I want to read you an excerpt from the epistle of Barnabas. Moses said, you shall not eat the hare. H-A-R-E. Why? So that he said, you may not become a boy molester. You eat rabbits, you're going to molest boys. Makes sense? Or be made like the rabbit. For the hare grows a new anal opening each year, so that however many years he has lived, he has that many. This was the gospel, according to Barnabas. Nor should you eat the hyena, he said, so that you may not become an, an adulterer or a seducer or like them. Why? Because this animal changes its gender annually and is one year a male and the next a female. And he also rightly despised the weasel. You shall not, he said, become as these who we hear commit uncleanness with their mouths, nor shall you be joined to those women who have committed illicit acts orally with the unclean, for this animal conceives through its mouth. Now that's the kind of thing that, that led to some of these prejudices we experience these days. 
That's that kind of thing. That is not off the wall. That was a respected, very early church writing. And in fact, on in to the 11th, 12th century, this attitude, this belief about the hare and the hyena and the weasel, in fact, in fact, uh, homosexuals were referred to as hares and rabbits in Europe in the 11th and 12th centuries, or hyenas. And sometimes you'll see sculptures uh, depicting a hyena being eaten by a dragon or some, uh, some strange sculptures depicting hyenas. That was the symbol for, for homosexuals. The strange thing about it is that many times we would find in the same writings a reference to this. A few paragraphs after, someone says that, that homosexual acts are unnatural because the animals don't do it. Sound a little incredible? Then a few paragraphs later, talk about the hare and the hyena and the weasel. Strange. It doesn't all add up, does it? But that's the kind of thing that a lot of the prejudice we deal with today is based on. Now let's talk about Augustine. St. Augustine had some things to say about what was natural and unnatural. Augustine's horror of unnatural sex acts was so great that he not only forbade them absolutely to married persons, and whatever unnatural meant to him, but actually instructed Christian women to have their husbands perform such acts with prostitutes who were a natural and necessary part of life, in his view, if they felt a need for them. St. Augustine, we're looking at attitudes that are formed and things that are written basically by celibate men who have what I consider an unnatural concept of the place of women. Now, can you imagine this fellow saying that, that rather than acts being performed between husband and wife, that uh, the husband should go out and engage a prostitute and that was all right? It seems many of the things that were called natural were things that were common. Things that were called unnatural during this period were things that were uncommon. So are we to say then that Christian theology of those times equated the common with the good? Just because it was common was it good? Much of what the mainstream Christian churches view as natural can be linked today to the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, who pointed, pointed to the moral authority of some ideal nature. Aquinas, however, linked homosexuality with the most sinful species of lust, he called it. He had a list of these most sinful species of lust, and listen to his list. Masturbation, intercourse with animals, homosexual intercourse, heterosexual intercourse, which is not for the purpose of reproduction. The most sinful species of lust, any intercourse which was not for the purpose of reproduction was an unnatural act to Aquinas. He also had an interesting view about women, and I want to read this to you, maybe something you didn't realize. Aquinas believed that women were produced by defective circumstances. Now hang in there, <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> if conception took place under completely natural circumstances, males would always result. For the active force of the male seed intends to produce something similar to itself, perfect in its masculinity. Hallelujah. <laughs> Are you with me so far? 
<laughs> and this is the part I think I like best. But if some peculiarity intervened, a defect in sperm or seed of the prevalent or the prevalence of a moist southerly wind at the time of conception, <laughs> that's what he said, females would be born. Although Aquinas did believe that females were in this sense defective males, and, and although he certainly considered women inferior to men in many practical ways, it cannot be argued that he considered the condition of femaleness to be more morally reprehensible. Well, good for him. <laughs> it's come a long way, baby. Well, there you have some of the things that our concepts of what, what is natural and what is unnatural are based upon. Pretty strange. Pretty strange. And Christians these days seem to blindly follow these concepts of natural and unnatural until, of course, they step on their toes and then they sort of detour from that. The same fundamentalists or evangelicals who will tell you that, that certain acts are natural and certain acts are unnatural will also point to, and, and these people, and they will tell you that natural is best, right? You've got to be natural. You don't want to be unnatural. The same people, if you look in their theological writings, you will discover their theological attitude about what human nature is. 1 Corinthians 15.47 tells us, The first man being from the earth is earthly by nature. The second man is from heaven. As this earthly person was, we are, so are we on earth. And as this heavenly person is, so are we in heaven. And we who have been modeled on the earthly person will be modeled on the heavenly person. The fundamentalist theology will draw on this depiction of the nature of humankind. The understanding is darkened, Ephesians 4.18 and 1 Corinthians 2.14. The heart is deceitful and wicked, Jeremiah 17.9 and 10. The mind and conscience are defiled, Genesis 6.5, Titus 1.15. The flesh and spirit are defiled, 2 Corinthians 7.5. The will is enfeebled, Romans 7:18, and we are utterly destitute of any God-like qualities which meet the requirements of God's holiness, Romans 7:18. Yet we are called upon to be natural. Now there's something wrong here, isn't there? What nature are we called upon to take on? Human nature? Earthly nature? animal nature? Are we called upon to do things that the animals do just because they're natural? Well, we're not the first peoples who have faced this. Not the first who have faced all of these arguments. The people in the early Galatian church ran into this. Paul ran into this. And we read in Philippians 3, 1 through 3, and I'm going to read it to you again. Finally, my friends, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble to me to repeat what I've already written to you. And as far as you are concerned, it will make for safety. Beware of dogs. Watch out for the people who are making mischief. Watch out for the cutters. We are the real people of the circumcision. We who worship in accordance with the Spirit of God, we have our own glory from Christ Jesus without having to rely on a physical operation. The people in Galatia, the Gentiles in the Galatian church, 
were Paul's converts to Christianity. They had accepted Christ. They had found the joy of salvation. They had found the peace of worshiping Jesus Christ, and, and Christ had come into their hearts. And it just so happened that there was a visit to town at the same time of Paul and of Barnabas and of Simon Peter when there was going on a very interesting thing because there was a group of Jewish Christians who had come into town to the church at Galatia and they were telling these Galatian Gentiles, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. It's not natural. It's an unnatural act to claim that you're saved and have a relationship with God if you're not circumcised. That's what they were telling them. Now let me tell you that was some tough news for these Galatian Christians. It meant that they were to be brought under the Jewish law. Well, first of all, they may not even have spoken Hebrew. They may not even have been able to read this law. They may not even have been brought up, well, they weren't even brought up on this law. They didn't know what the law was. These Jewish Christians were more than happy to tell them their version. Secondly, it was a painful situation. It could lead to death, this operation, for someone who was an adult. And it was even worse for the women, because if they were brought under Jewish law, then for weeks out of the year, at various times, they would be considered unclean because of their menstrual periods. And during those times, they couldn't touch members of their family. Anything they touched was unclean and had to be washed. Anyone who touched them was unclean. It wasn't easy to be brought under this law, and particularly not when, it, when it's not your nature, when you weren't brought up with this law, when it doesn't come as second nature to you, when it's not something you're accustomed to. But these Jews were telling these Gentiles that they had to kneel to that Jewish law in order to be Christians, and they had to yield to circumcision and to the life of a person under that law. This infuriated Paul. Infuriated Paul. He was hurt. He was angry. He wrote them a letter that's probably one of the tougher letters in the Bible. He says, oh, you foolish, senseless Galatians. What has bewitched you, he said. What has come over you? Now, I'm sure that these Jewish Christians probably had presented to these Galatians a convert. Here is old brother, oh, I was one, and he used to be one of you Gentiles, and he's recently had his change, and we've changed his nature, and here he is. And he says, well, I'm really happy, you know. He said, I never thought in the past that I wasn't supposed to eat pork, and I never thought in the past that I wasn't supposed to wear a garment with one more than one kind of thread in it, nor plant more than one kind of seed in a field, and I didn't know that I couldn't touch uh, uh, female members of my family certain times during the year, or anything that they had touched, or anything that that had touched, and he said, I didn't know all those things, and, and uh, really, I don't understand all the law, but these people are explaining it to, it, to me. Every time I do something wrong, they tell me, and uh, mostly I just kind of sit still here and don't do anything, and I figure I'm pretty safe that way. And there he was, their convert, trying to change his nature. And Paul says to them, he gets pretty tough on the people who are doing this. He says of them, I wish their knife would slip, is what some translations say. Other translations go a little farther and say, I wish they'd be castrated. 
That's what the Jerusalem Bible says. That's pretty tough language for Paul. That's even tougher than, than the language that some people try to strap on us. And this thing had gone so far that even Simon Peter, even Simon Peter, who had been called to minister to the Gentiles, now refused to go to Gentiles' houses to eat and would not have meals with Gentiles. Didn't want to be seen with them. Simon Peter. Paul says of that, I opposed him to his face. It's right in here. I opposed him to his face. Simon Peter, you see, had had a vision. God had sent Simon Peter a vision. He was on a rooftop. And this sheet came down out of heaven, and on it were all these things that the Old Testament Levitical law had said were unclean for a nice Jewish boy to eat. All these things on here. And this voice out of heaven says, take and eat. Simon Peter said, no. That's all yucko. That's all unclean. By my nature, I don't like that stuff. And again, the voice says, take and eat. Now, is that voice telling Simon Peter to sin? God's saying, Simon Peter, sin. Break the Old Testament law. Simon Peter said, no. No way. Gag me with a spoon. I don't want that stuff. Voice says, take and eat. And finally, the voice says, what God has made clean, let no person call profane. What God has made clean, let no one call unclean. And the next thing you know, there was a knock on the door, and it was a servant for, from Cornelius' house, and Cornelius was a Gentile. And in quick order, Simon Peter went over, and Cornelius' whole household was one to Jesus Christ. And Simon Peter began to minister to the Gentiles and viewed his calling from that point as involving a ministry to the Gentiles and here he is, won't even eat with them? Oh, I'm called to the dirty. I'm called to the poor. I'm called to the meek. I'm called to the hungry. And I wash my hands every time they touch me. Amen? Won't even eat with them. And so there was a big meeting, a big council meeting of the early church, a congregational meeting. There was a quorum. And they talked about these Galatian Gentiles. And this is where Paul says, I opposed him to his face, of Simon Peter. And he says, you don't even know how to keep the Jewish law. You fishermen, you didn't study under Gamaliel as I did. You didn't learn as a Pharisee, as I did, all of the Jewish law. You think you keep the Jewish law. You don't know what you're talking about. And here you're telling these Gentiles they ought to keep it. Pretty much said you're a hypocrite, pal. And so they sent a message, one which I'm sure was well received to the Galatian church that they didn't have to yield to this circumcision preaching that was going on. Do you see any parallels? Of course you do. The people who come in and try to tell us and come into our neighborhood and preach through bullhorns and try to tell us 
If you're going to be saved, you've got to change your very nature. You have to go through a painful operation. This whole painful procedure of, of an operation on the inner you. Tear your heart out. Change before you can be saved. And accept Jesus Christ and be a Christian. And they would have us believe that we should live by the law. They would have us believe that we should live by the law as they tell it to us. And they would point to Leviticus, and we're going to get into this a uh, week after next. We're going to be back here talking about the Old Testament proof text. And they would point to Leviticus, and they would say that it says in there, lay not with man as with woman, it is an abomination. Well, we're going to talk about what abomination means. But what they don't tell you is all that, all those things about women being unclean, as we talked about before, and at the end of that time, in order to be clean again, you need to go out and burn two turtle doves. How many of you have burned turtle doves this, this year? <laughs> they don't tell you. They don't tell you that if you're going to go by that Levitical law, you can't wear clothes with threads of more, with, with more than one kind of fiber in them. They don't tell you that you can't plant more than one kind of seed in a field according to that Levitical law. They don't tell you that you can't eat shrimp and lobster. You don't see them with their bullhorns down in front of the crazy crab, do you? <laughs> they don't tell you that the heaviest prohibitions in there were against divorce. You don't see them with their bullhorns down at the divorce court or the lawyer's office, do you? Why did these Jewish Christians who were preaching to the Galatians point out circumcision? Why do you suppose they did? Because they were already circumcised. Right? And it wasn't going to change. It was something that they couldn't be accused of, you know, doing any different. It happened before they even had consciousness. So what is natural? Would you turn, please, to Colossians 3, 9 through 13. You have stripped off your old behavior with your old self, and you have put on a new self which will progress towards true knowledge. The more it is renewed in the image of its creator, the more it is renewed in the image of its creator. And in that image, there is no room for distinction between Greek and Jew, between the circumcised or the uncircumcised, or between barbarian and Scythian, slave and free person. There is only Christ. He is everything, and he is in everything. You are God's chosen race, his saints. He loves you. And you should be clothed in sincere compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other as soon as quarrel begins. And 1 Corinthians 3.18. Here we begin to get a picture of what is natural. Make no sense about it if any one of you thinks of himself as wise in the ordinary sense of the word. Then they must learn to be a fool before they really can be wise. Why? Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As Scripture says, the Lord knows wise persons' thought. He knows how useless they are. Or again, God is not convinced by the arguments of the wise. So there is nothing to boast about in anything human. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, the world, life and death, the present and the future are all your servants, but you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Turn to Galatians 5.22. It says here that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, trustfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says additionally that there can be no law against things like that. That's what's natural. Let me read them one more time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, trustfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God intends as natural. Outing Religion is produced and hosted by D.L. Day, author of the book Why and How the Clergy Lied, a journalist's academic report on LGBTQ and Christianity. All contents are copyrighted. Thank you for joining us.